My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and on earth nations will be in dismay, perplexed by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will die of fright in anticipation of what is coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these signs begin to happen, stand erect and raise your heads, because your redemption is at hand. Beware that your hearts do not become drowsy with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of daily life, and that day catch you by surprise like a trap. For that day will assault everyone who lives on the face of the earth. Be vigilant at all times and pray that you have the strength to escape the tribulations that are imminent and to stand before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. So it was about a a year and a half ago or so that my my brother, my sister-in-law, my three nieces adopted a rescue dog named Floyd. I know it's a great dog's name, but that's his name. And he's still a, a puppy. He's still in need of a lot of training and guidance and correction. So my brother's really good about not just working with himself, but also getting his daughters involved. So they know exactly at what hour they're to give him a scoop and a half of his dog food. They know when they get home from school that Floyd needs to go for a walk. So one gets the leash, one gets the other bags for you know what, and they go for a walk. And they also know, or at least they've been warned, not to leave their toys around particularly their Barbie dolls, which he seems to have a particular fondness in destroying. And they've also been told not to have anything of importance within his reach because if he's out, if they're out for an extended period of time, and if he gets bored and he finds his way, he's going to destroy it. So a few months ago, my mom had picked up my nieces from school and had gotten home to find that Floyd had gotten out of his cage and seemingly had targeted my youngest niece's artwork and hers alone, ripping it down off the wall, destroying it, and shredding it into pieces all over the floor. Now, I say seemingly targeting her alone because the other two nieces also had artwork right within the vicinity, and there wasn't a paw mark anywhere near any of them. So as my mother was recounting the story for me later that night, she talked about how traumatic the whole thing was that she said she had to move into crisis mode as soon as they walked in. The oldest niece took the dog out for the walk, you know, separating the criminal from the victim's probably a good first step. The second niece went right into cleanup mood, like starting getting all the sorted pieces of what remained. And my mother said, I had to sit and try to calm the little one down who was utterly devastated that her masterpiece had been destroyed by this vicious animal. Just a little context. I think there's like a little bit of tension between the two. Like every time my brother is sitting there with the youngest one 
and like the dog comes over, he, it's like he gets jealous. He starts like barking because he's giving her attention. But at any rate, just to give you the context. When my mother's first told me about this, though, I kind of laughed about it. I'm like, you know, the kid mass produces artwork. I mean, there's dozens and dozens of these things all over the place. I'm like, you know, this is a little bit of an overreaction. And my mother, like, went into my niece's voice. She goes, no, 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 this was special. I've never done something like this before. I'm never going to be able to create something like this before. So her sobbing and her hysterics were totally appropriate. And in her five-year-old mind and heart, that was it. She was completely devastated. She would never paint again. <laughs> Nor would she ever trust Floyd again. And she's, it was like that afternoon for her was the end of the world. It's the end of the world. How often do we hear that phrase or we use that phrase to describe things? That feeling that we've experienced the end of the world probably come up at some point. Maybe it was a day that your girlfriend or boyfriend and you broke up. Maybe it was a day that you failed that class or you found out you had to stay for another semester or another year. I remember a, sit- a student sitting in front of me, completely devastated to tell his parents that after only a few days of student teaching, he hated it. And he was finally ready to admit that after three and a half years here at Montclair State, he didn't want to be a high school teacher. For you guys and for those of us who are a little bit older, we might remember similar times when you go through some sort of an experience and you really feel this, this massive, overwhelming thing that happens, that there's almost like a break between the world that was and this new world that is. And there's this rush of new, unpleasant emotions that are unwelcome, that seem to color or discolor everything. And those experiences don't stop happening as we get older. If anything, those experiences get more and more serious. A friend of mine recently got fired not laid off, not had his hours cut, but fired from his job. When my father passed away very suddenly four years ago, when another relative was diagnosed and then died from cancer, when a friend of mine took his life in suicide, when another friend talks about their marriage ending after 20 years, there's almost too many examples to think of where people that I loved and cared for or where I myself have gone through that that squeezy feeling of the world coming to an end. Not the happiest or most pleasant of thoughts, I'll grant you. And when I read that passage from the gospel tonight, I remember doing a Bible study with parishioners on it and them saying they really didn't like it because Jesus is sharing this apocalyptic vision of chaos. Power is being shaken. A list of almost every fear that you could think of being described. And it's one of those moments where where people's complaints about church could be so depressing is somewhat justified. You know, it's like you're coming to mass. Maybe you have like your your, your buds in. You're listening to some Christmas music. You know, you're feet bopping the holly jolly Christmas. And then you're like, you come in here, it's all doom and gloom. But it's not all doom and gloom. And that's the good news that this joyful season of Advent is all about. The entire season of Advent is about focusing on how God in Jesus Christ comes. 
Now, part of it, especially as we get closer to Christmas, will be on, on the first entrance of Jesus into human history. And in that gospel, we're reminded of the reality that at the end of the world, Jesus is going to come again. And it's easy for, for most of us, as soon as we start to hear all that being described, kind of just zoning out just when we hear that imagery. Because with our own ends of the world, very much on our minds and hearts, maybe many or most of us are anxious or overwhelmed even before we walked into Mass. And I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus makes that point in the Gospel, telling us to not let our hearts get drowsy and tired by it all. It's way too easy to give in to that temptation to try to, to numb the pain or to distract ourselves from, from troubles by overworking or by yielding to depression or turning it towards alcohol or some sexual sin or other out-of-control behaviors and addictions like spending hours and hours online or Netflixing or whatever. And all of that just contributes to this fog of busyness that everybody seems to be suffering from. And if I'm already depressed by whatever it is I feel is the end of the world in my life, and then I'm filling my, my time and space with all this other unpleasant stuff, it's understandable that you start to feel doomy and gloomy, and we can dismiss the whole gospel. But Advent wants to wake us out of that drowsiness. Advent wants us to get more serious and to break out of whatever destructive thing that has a hold on us that distracts and unsettles us. Most especially because Advent wants us to remember and to focus on the reality of the third way that Jesus comes. That Jesus comes to us here and now. Most especially as we hear his word and we receive his body and blood in the Eucharist at Mass. Advent tells us to take a breath and rediscover how God is constantly trying to break into our crazy, distracted, shifting worlds. Jesus wants to be a part of that, no matter what it is that we're experiencing, wherever we find ourselves right now. Jesus wants to come to console us, to strengthen us. He wants us to discover or to rediscover how his presence in our lives can help us with any and everything that comes our way. Because that happens over and over in our lives. You'll be happy to know that my niece and the art-destroying Floyd, they're buddies again. And she has resumed all her creative enterprises. I can't tell you how many students in my 11 years in campus ministry who've experienced a, a broken heart for the first time and never thought it would ever heal, never thought they would love anyone again, have. Or the student who feared telling his parents that he didn't want to teach and thought there was a good chance that his parents were going to end his world that day, <laughs> is very happily settled, with, married, with children, and a very successful career that he never conceived of before, but is perfectly suited for him. As much as we mourn and grieve loved ones we've lost, those of us who've experienced that type of pain can tell you that there does come a day that the tears aren't flowing as much as they did before when you can talk and speak about the person without breaking down. Every one of them in us can acknowledge that we didn't want these things to happen or for our worlds to have changed at all or for them to never have been the same. And there are painful, difficult experiences there, but we've discovered God's grace and we emerge hopefully stronger with a, a greater awareness of the things that are eternal 
The love that does endure all things. And that is able to cast out all fear. So Advent is this joyful time to recall that Jesus has come, will come, and continues to come to those who welcome him. We began this Mass with these beautiful words in that opening prayer. It's probably my, my favorite prayer in the entire book that I look forward to every first Sunday of Advent. Because they start out, grant your faithful, we pray, almighty God, the resolve to run forth to meet your Christ. Just think about it. Those are our call to action words. They're telling us that we're not to stand around anxiously waiting for the sky to fall, the heavens to collapse, or for the world to end. Rather, we're to seek and we're to find and we're to embrace Jesus Christ right here and now. And as we allow him to break into our worlds and to walk with us with whatever it is that we're struggling with or afraid of or anything that's undermining our faith right now, we can become more aware of that abiding presence and the guidance that he can bring to our lives, which will enable us to hear and to follow those words in the gospel that he tells us to continue to do from now to the end of time, to stand erect to raise your heads because your redemption is at hand.